0: Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9, Paul has been working up to uh, the moment when he's going to start getting into the, the nuts and bolts. He's, he's getting into their reaction. This, this uh, church has been, was planted by Paul probably five years earlier than when he wrote this letter. They were going strong. He left after 18 months, and then he hears now things aren't going well. There's divisions, and they're beginning to, or they have been, arguing and fighting and and jealousy uh, between each other over the messenger, not the message. He says in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you you who say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, that is Peter, I follow Christ. And all, through, all four of those teachers are godly teachers. But they were stuck on their preferences. They preferred Paul's teaching instead of Apollo's style of teaching. But the message itself was the same. Maybe a little deeper in some points, maybe a little shallower in other points, but it was all about the gospel and he's saying, you're missing the point. You're dividing over preferences, not over the gospel, not even some sort of obscure theological argument. It's all about style. And so he, he begins to lay the foundation, is saying, okay, there are two people in this world, two types of people in this world, those who are natural and those who are spiritual, the natural person who rejects the things of God, rejects the gospel message of Christ's atoning sacrifice upon the cross. The natural person hears the fact that they needed somebody to die for them who lived a perfect life would be the perfect sacrifice. That's foolishness to them. They don't need that. That's crazy talk. Why would anyone, let alone a God, do such a thing, send his own son to die on the cross, to die the horrible debt that we deserve. Why would God do that? This rejection happens because the gospel cannot be understood by those who do not have the Holy Spirit guiding and teaching them in the truths of God. They do not believe and they do not understand, not because the gospel cannot be understood, but because it cannot be understood by those who don't have the Spirit in them, that don't have the Spirit teaching them and guiding them. That's why they're called natural, natural people. But that other set of people, the spiritual people, the spiritual person, believes the gospel message. And far from being foolish, it is wisdom, peace, joy, comfort to him because the Spirit of God has opened his spiritual eyes to the great wisdom that lies in God's salvation his life is completely transformed and he now looks at the world through the lens of the gospel seeing the great need of our that our world has for christ striving to point others to him and to the truth of the gospel message if you want to bring it in today's world we do not see what's happening over in israel in a vacuum we see it through the gospel Both Israel and the Palestinians and the Israelites, they all need Jesus. Now, it's a complicated issue, I get that, but in real life, our neighbors and our friends and our family who who, who don't know Christ, they're living their life of their own. What do they need? They need Christ. Ultimately, they need the gospel. And so those who are spiritual, those who have the Holy Spirit in them, they view life in that way but and this is a negative but by the way usually the but is really good right in scripture like the most powerful word we were once sinners but christ saved us well here's a negative one such a transformed life seeing the the world through the eyes of the gospel does not mean that you live a perfect life the Christian who is saved by God's grace through faith in Christ still has a battle raging within his heart between the Spirit of God and the flesh of man. The Christian's desire is that we would, every single day, that we would see the influence of the world lessen in our lives and the influence of God's truth increase in our lives, right? I mean, if you're a believer, you're like, that's, that's what I want, But the Christian is not immune to fighting this battle. Just because the Spirit is in you does not mean the flesh goes away. And sometimes, if we were honest, our flesh wins, does it not? We give in, we act as the world acts, even though we know better. Now, this doesn't mean that we've lost our salvation. It doesn't mean that our adoption as God's child is suddenly annulled. That doesn't happen. Once we are in the hands of God, His love is never removed from us, and we are never removed from His hand. But it does mean that something needs to be changed. Something needs to be corrected so that our unfaithfulness to Him in those moments become faithfulness. Now, I'm not going to talk too many specifics today as we're walking through this, we just want to Paul's going to get very specific later on here in this chapter. He's trying to lay the groundwork to prepare them to say this is where you are Corinthians. I mean, how many times I say if you want to know if you want to know where you're really at you have to be honest with yourself, do you not? As a Christian, no, oh, I'm not struggling with sin. I have no problems with sin and then you sin. Well, how do you deal with that? How do you wrestle with that? Where does your identity lie in that? And the the Corinthian church, they're believers. We know that they're believers. Paul calls them saints in chapter one, verse two. And in today's passage, he calls them brothers. Those, Those words are what the Bible used to describe true believers. So they are true children of God, but they're believers who are acting like Un, the unbelieving Corinthians around them. And instead of following their creator they began to follow mere servants. Paul and Apollos and Cephas. Notice he doesn't put Christ in there. That's always the weird one. Like yeah you should follow Christ but not in the way that they were following him in that sense. So when Paul had first arrived in Corinth he, he didn't begin preaching about the Trinity and trying to explain what the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, or he didn't sit down to try to lay out all the differences between the the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. He couldn't address them, he says, as spiritual people because they did not have the Holy Spirit in them. They were not spiritual people. Instead, he taught them the basics of the gospel message until they believed. But even then, Paul understood that they were mere infants in Christ, they were like a newborn baby. They needed milk to grow in their faithfulness, not T-bone steaks. They just weren't ready for difficult teaching because they were spiritually immature. But now Paul sees five years later, they are still not ready for the deeper things of Christ, which is always, okay, now as we get further on in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you still need to be taught the basics, and then you read it, and you're like, I don't get this, because the deepness of Paul is crazy. What's, cre- what's, what's shallow to Paul is probably deep to us, so you're, if you feel that way, get in line. But what he's trying to tell them is, you should be growing in your faith. You should be more spiritually mature in your faith. Yeah, sure, you're only five years old, but a five-year-old eats very differently from an infant. And so it should be with that church. They should be eating solid spiritual food, but they're not. They're still of the flesh, he says. That is, they're still acting like the world. How? Well, because jealousy and strife were among them. They were there were rivalries that had become so entrenched in the church that divisions and conflict began to arise. In other words, their actions were consistent with their flesh. They were merely behaving as humans behave, not in a godly way, in a human way. And what was the cause of that jealousy and strife? Again, their preferences of Paul's style of teaching over Apollos' Apollos, or Peter's over Christ that revealed to Paul that their spiritual growth had become stunted and that they needed to go back to the basics. He needed to go back to the basics with them. Now, bring it into a modern sense. um, I just heard recently from one of our churches in our association or in Iowa, association in Iowa, that they had, as a church, voted to remove the two back rows of pews because there were so many people that were hanging out afterwards, fellowshipping together in the back, there wasn't enough room. And so they got rid of the pews to create more room so people could stay longer and fellowship together. That seems reasonable, right? And they had a couple families leave because of that. That is spiritual immaturity. You left a church because the two back pews were gone. Now, maybe that was your seat for 50 years, but there's one right there. You can sit next to the pastor's family. Oh, no, right? That's spiritually Now, that's an extreme example. But before we begin to start throwing people a bus, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, how many of you were spiritually immature this week? Yeah, you all should be raising your hands if you're a believer because we all have moments of that, do we not? We lose our, our minds over the simplest things, not even just in the church, But in life, the Corinthians were still truly believers, but like a baby not yet weaned from her mother, Paul recognizes, all right, I need to go back to the basics. I need to give you some spiritual milk. And so he begins to point out how their jealousy and strife had pitted Paul and Apollos and Cephas against the creator God. Never a good thing. He's trying to tell them, Okay, let me, let me tell you how it really is. The pews, they're just wood. You guys realize that, right? They're not holy. It's just wood. Here he's like, you realize who we are, right? We're just servants. So he, he gives in verses 5 through 8, he gives four comparisons between these servants, Paul and Apollo specifically, and, and the Creator, God. He says, we are but servants through whom the Corinthians believe, through whom you believe. A servant is a slave, one who is totally responsible to and dependent upon another person. In this case, Paul and Apollos are slaves of God. They do what he asks. And as God's servants, Paul and Apollos are given specific tasks distinct tasks for each of them to fulfill. Paul did not choose his assignment. It was given to him by his master. And so he strove to fulfill that. So he's saying, we're servants to the creator. That's the first comparison, okay? The second comparison, then what are those tasks? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So now he's com- Comparing the tasks of Paul and Apollos and God himself. If a farmer or a gardener wants to grow a specific plant, what do you need to do? You, you first find the plant seed, right? And you, you till the soil and the ground, and then you put the seed in the ground, and then you water it, and you weed around it, and you do all those things. Well, Paul planted the seed of the gospel message in the ground of the hearts of the Corinthians, but it was Apollos who watered that seed. It was Paulus who discipled the Corinthians in the faith. Paul's work was just as important as Apollos's, and vice versa. A seed that's planted but receives no water does what? Dies. But if there is no seed to water, then you can water the ground all you want. You ain't gonna have that plant grow up. You're probably gonna have weeds, right? So both are important. Both are vital for fruitfulness. Paul and Apollos may have completed the tasks assigned to them, but God was the one who made that seed grow. We tend to think of plants growing in like a strictly scientific sense, right? If I do this and then I do that, then the plant will grow. Maybe a little less than other years and maybe a little more than other years, but Scientifically, that makes sense, right? But farmers know, and you could probably talk to them now, that you could do all the work that's necessary. You can get the exact right amount of water and sun and heat and humidity, but you can't will that plant to go. The farmer has nothing to do with the growing of that plant. Ultimately, that's up to God. And so Paul and Apollos, they simply did the tasks. God's the one who blessed those tasks and made the faith of the Corinthians grow. Now, the third comparison then reinforces that when he says, neither he who plants, that is Paul, neither he who waters, Apollos, is anything. Now, Paul is not nothing, He is arguably one of the greatest missionaries in all of church history, but Paul isn't comparing himself to Apollos, and he's not comparing himself to the Corinthians. He's comparing himself to God, and as great as Paul may be from a human perspective, he is simply nothing compared to God who created the universe. Paul may be a great planter. Apollos is a wonderful waterer. I think that's the way you would say that but both of them are terrible growers <laughs> because it's only God who gives the growth. It's only God who causes the gospel message to take root and bear fruit in the hearts and the lives of those who believe. And in his fourth comparison then, in verse 8, Paul says that he and Apollos they are one, meaning that as God's servants, they are united in their desire and their goal for the gospel to be heard and believed there's no competition between them because they're going to receive their wages according to their labor. Paul's not going to receive any rewards because of what Apollos did. Paul uh, God just says, Paul, are, are you being faithful to what I've called you to? If you're a believer, I I had to learn this the hard way that yes, God demands obedience and perfection, but But ultimately, what does He desire? He doesn't doesn't desire for you to be this person or that person or do this or do that if He hasn't called you to that. He's called you to be faithful. Be faithful to His word, be faithful to His commands, be faithful to His call to us as Christians. Are we being faithful? Paul saying, I've been faithful. Paul and and Apollos, we've We've been assigned a specific task in your life, Corinthians. And so we're going to be rewarded according to the accomplishment of that task. Now all of this, why why would the church of Corinth be putting such an emphasis on the servants who are simply doing an assigned task? Why would you be following us, Paul is saying? Why would you be following men who in comparison to our master are nothing? And so his point is, is this. You can get into it like, okay, well, what's my task? What's this? Next? Okay, that's a great conversation. This is Paul's main point. Why are you following me? You need to follow the creator, the one who made your faith grow, the one who called me to plant the seed, the one who called Apollos, two men who were but servants to you. Follow the one to whom you belong, don't follow us. Paul and Apollos are God's workers that are assigned specific tasks in the lives of the Corinthians. They belong to God. The Corinthians belong to God. He is the master. He is the one who's in charge of the Corinthians' life. He's the one who brought these men into their lives, meaning that God is actively at work in the lives and the hearts of the Corinthians. The fact that Paul is writing this letter is uh, revealing to them, hey, God has not forgotten you. You may have slipped in your faithfulness to Him. You may have started to live the life of the flesh, a sinful life like the world does, forgotten who God is. But God hasn't forgotten who you are. You are his. And he's now commanding me and tasking me with writing this very difficult letter to you to call you out on this and to say, stop, remember who you follow, remember who you belong to. God is still at work in your life, Corinthians. Let go of your preferences. Grow in your faith. And that truth is the same for us today who are the church. God is the master and Lord of his field. That is us, the church. And he alone is worthy of our devotion and glory. Not our jobs, not our children, not our grandchildren, not our spouses, not the future, not money. God is the only one who is worthy of our devotion and glory. Godly and biblically sound teachers are wonderful. I pray and I hope that you are listening to them beyond a Sunday morning beyond Sunday school, that during the week you're listening to podcasts that are solid and good and right, they are wonderful, and actually more are needed within the church. But as Christians, we should never confuse godly teachers with God Himself. God is actively coordinating and working things in the life and in the faith of the believer. That's you, that's me. And Paul reminds his Corinthians, he says, you are God's building in verse 9. That is significant. Because how they would have understood that, what building does a God reside in? It resides in a temple. Now, the the temple is in Jerusalem, right? The temple for Jews, or if you want to say, for the Corinthians, the, the pagan Corinthians... Their worship was at this temple of a specific God. Their worship and their life revolved around that, but that temple of brick and mortar can be broken down. The temple in Jerusalem is no longer. It's gone. So what, what do God's people do now? The presence, the place of God's The the place of God's presence is gone. It's removed. And Paul is reminding them, yeah, no, the temple is gone, but now you are the temple. As a church, individually and corporately, we are the temple of God, and as his temple, we are called to follow him and to praise him, to honor him, to love him with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. That's Paul's point here. And as Christians, what are we putting above God? Or maybe, maybe should, to put it a little different way, when we realize this coming week, or we look back on last week, let's just keep it to within two weeks because anything more than that might be a little overwhelming. And you look back and you're like, oh man, like I I was acting like the world day that day. In that moment, my mindset was no different than the person who hates God. I didn't act the way God has called me to act. I didn't think the way God had called me to think I've messed up, but we just sang a song that spoke of how Christ forgave our sins and how many of his sins has he forgiven. All of them. Past, present, and future. And since we cannot be removed from His love, since we cannot be removed from His family, when we sin, it's not like sweet. I could do all the sin I want. Okay, read Romans. That's a no. What what he what we need to remember as God's people is yes, man. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fail at times. But Christ has already forgiven that sin and he is not holding it against me. Now, that doesn't mean I should just ignore it. What it means is I need to confess that sin to God. I need to make my relationship has been hurt. My relationship with God has been hurt because of that sin. I've disobeyed him. And I I need to confess that to, to, in a sense, not forever reconcile, but heal that relationship. And guess what God's gonna do? just like he did with the Corinthians. You are mine. And guess what? I've never left you because you are my temple. I don't hold this against you. Confess it, let go of it, and then don't do it again. I am with you always to the end of this age. The Spirit, my Spirit, is within you. And he is guiding you. He is teaching you. He's encouraging you. He is strengthening you to be faithful to me. And so the tendency is for us to, to get down, right? And well, then what's the point? And, and, and you no, know, these are Paul's words to get them back on track, the Corinthian church back on track, to get us as a church back on track. Where have you messed up? Where have you been unfaithful? Where have you acted like the world? Confess it and then bask in the love of, and the joy that is in Christ, the spirit living within us, God guiding us and taking care of us. And through that realization that even when I mess up, even when I sin against him, when I confess my sins to him, I am reminded that he is the only one worthy of my praise. He's the only one who's worthy of Don't follow Mark, don't follow Elm Creek, don't follow whatever teacher in the sense of, listen to them, but they are mere servants of the master. Follow the master. Don't follow the servants. The servants will always let you down. (laughs) So may we as a church show such devotion and glory to him. Not to earn his love, because remember, we're already saved. It's, to, it's because he loves us. And it's to give him what he deserves. And that we already know is true, that he is worthy of such, such praise and honor. Father, I pray for us this morning as we wrestle with the sin in our hearts, as we wrestle with our, our past. And as we anticipate, how are we gonna mess up in the future, God, that that these words would come to mind? We are your temple, we are your building, we are your field, and that you have not forgotten us. You are actively working, you are sending waterers and, and weeders and people to till the soil, and you are doing all of that work. Paul is showing us, God, that he is doing the task and he is stepping aside, to let you have all of the glory, Father, may we do that. May we be reminded of that. And may we remember that you are the only one who is worthy of our glory. And when we remember that you have forgiven us, may our praise for you grow evermore. We ask this, Father, that you would do this in our hearts, that you would make this a reality this week for us and that we would bask in the joy that is you and the truths that you have given us of your Son, that we are saved and we are your people. You determine our identity, and you are working on us, God, until the day we die. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.